Welcome to the War in Ukraine update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a senior lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia, and I'm checking in with Maxim Yali, head of a Centre for New World Order and Professor of International Relations at the National Aviation University in Kyiv. Thanks for checking in with me today, Maxim. You're welcome, Jessica, as usual. So we haven't spoken for a while. Could you first update listeners on what is the mood like in Kyiv at the moment and how are things going over there? Well, actually, the mood in Kyiv hasn't changed much. Most of citizens of the capital adopted uh, to the war a long time ago. So uh, summer was stable, I would say, because just before the uh, beginning of counteroffensive in May, beginning of June, there were huge attacks, uh, drones and uh, missiles every day. So that was difficult. Since then, just uh, several occasions, but now uh, it, it is autumn and just two days ago, there was also massive missile attack, more than 50 missiles were launched by Russians uh, and uh, it's just, you know, the beginning of the season of targeting Ukrainian critical infrastructure. And it shows that uh, we should prepare for difficult winter, uh, just as it was last year with lockdowns, problems with electricity, etc., etc. And even officials today, even the prime minister wrote to it. So even top-level officials say that we should prepare for tough winter. But, you know, life is going on. Like, you know, just go to restaurants, cafes, etc., etc. A curfew is not so strict and is not so long. It, it is in, incomparable, I would say, with the situation in Kiev last spring, when checkpoints, no people, absolutely empty. Kiev. Now it's just, if I go out, for example, you know, not far, there is a Dnipro river. Okay, people walking in the evening, even during air sirens, just keep swimming, some bathing, uh, children playing. So we got used to it. We are aware that it's a long-time war. Who first will be exhausted? So we already understand and aware not only Kievans but all Ukrainians that this war will not be over by the end of the year, as everybody was hoping, including our Western allies at the beginning uh, this winter. Yes, when we were preparing for this counteroffensive. Mm-hmm. I am interested in your perspective on what we're going to see. For the rest of this year, we're heading now towards the winter in Kyiv. We've seen the counteroffensive progressing, but progressing slowly. So what do you think we're likely to see before the winter really sets in and then also going into next year? Well, actually, I do not agree. It's usually, say, a slow counteroffensive, taken into account that, for example, just one fact, statistical, yes, five, six mine per square meter, not kilometer. So, of course, Zelensky and our commanders denied uh, to come through this mine 
clients uh, quickly because it would uh, lead to huge losses among Ukrainian soldiers. So now, and as uh, Zaluzhny, General Zaluzhny mentioned just his goal also, of course, to deoccupy territories, but to save uh, resources, to save lives, because even, for example, I would say a very optimistic scenario, but we break through all three defense lines, come to SLC, break this corridor to Crimea, but we lose everything. We lose thousands of uh, soldiers, we lose uh, all the vehicles, fighter jets, we still have, I mean, Ukrainian, everything. What happens then? So we occupy even Crimea. So what happens then? Will the war be over? Of course not. In that case, a Ukrainian army would be very weak, and then Russians, even if they make, and they can make another mobilization, and they still have huge resources, yes, in tanks, everything, fighter jets, superiority in the sky, that's one of the key reasons. And uh, they would uh, fight back and uh, occupy much more territories. So these are the risks we are taking into account considerably, and I suppose it's totally right. Therefore, we are doing very good job. I mean, our soldiers, I know I communicate with them. It is an incomparable, I mean, conditions for offensive operations. Last year, we had successes in Kharkiv region, then in Kherson region, uh, they occupied a lot of territories, but because uh, there were no defense lines and it was easy to break through, and uh, they just ran away to save just the region. Yeah, they saved resources. So they left territories. But the most important that they save machinery, just tanks, everything, armored vehicles and people. And then, as you see now, they again trying to occupy exactly their territories, Kupiansk in Kharkiv direction, if we talk to this. So the strategy is obvious and correct under uh, such conditions of such kind of war. So what we can see, uh, I would say, usually like it's optimistic scenario, yes, pessimistic and uh, real one. I suppose uh, real one just weak and uh, President Zelensky just mentioned uh, visiting Washington that uh, there is a plan to deoccupy three towns. So the first one is Bakhmut. We're trying to encircle it and um, uh, to cut down the main roads. We are very close to it especially on the south. So uh, we can occupy other two towns he didn't mention. Of course, very important. So there are actually very few towns, not even cities, left in the south. So Takmak, Melitopol, and Berdyansk. So, for example, uh, just Melitopol and Berdyansk, about the same like it was before the beginning of full-scale war. 100,000 uh, citizens in Melitopol, in Berdyansk, even a bit less. Takmak is about 30,000, but of course it's difficult to deoccupy them. So Takmak, I, I guess, would be optimistic scenario because they have their still uh, defense lines and they have uh, this corridor to Crimea so they can bring uh, additional troops from the territory of Russia through Mariupol, just it's 90 kilometers away from Berdyansk and 100 kilometers away from Melitopol. So I guess that's optimistic scenario.
to break through all defense lines. Uh, even uh, U.S. generals estimate like chances 50-50. So far, I guess even a bit less for all three uh, defense lines to break through because of the factors I mentioned. And we are already actually preparing for the next year campaign, spring campaign, just the soldiers who are on the front line, they say just their commanders say they're okay. Just we need, first of all, to hold the territories we managed to occupy. As you know, we broke the first defense lines. We are having some successes. But to have this area from which when we get new resources, mobilize, uh, train more soldiers in the West, finally get uh, F-16. Because, you know, if you look to Western military doctrines, it is forbidden to start offensive operations if you do not have superiority or at least equality in the sky. We don't have even equality because we still have only fighter jets made in Soviet unions, the radar system, missile systems just lag behind the Russian modern uh, fighter jets, Su-35, Su-34, like Bombarda, etc., etc. So in this war, okay, drones play a very important role, understandable, but artillery, the key one. And since uh, May, we just eliminated about 300 artillery systems per month. Since June, uh, we increased the quantity twice, almost 700 and not less than 600. The war will be over and the victory we get when Russia does not have enough resources to substitute the losses in soldiers, but most important in artillery systems fighter jets, air defense systems also very important and we also showed very good results uh, this summer. So if you look to these statistics, not uh, on the occupied territories, it differs a lot. Now, as I, as I told you, that's what we can do to hold what we have deoccupied. I'm sure there is a plan to deoccupy Bakhmut. Also, Takmak would be very nice. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Maxim. Appreciate you being with me on the podcast today and sharing your thoughts. You're welcome, Jessica. We should meet more often. <laughs> thanks for listening, and thanks to Gonka Varol for our theme music. <laughs>